At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every day in this business, you get asked the same questions. What could go wrong? What's keeping you up at night? What's troubling you? On a day like today, believe me, I get it. Sure, the average didn't do too badly. Dow backsliding 73 points. Uh, S&P declined 0.05%. NASDAQ inched up 0.07%. But I, I, I know there's a lot to worry about. And we had the U.S. Trade Representative saying some less than encouraging things about China on the Hill today. We heard from the Federal Reserve on the Hill, always worrisome. We had uh, Frankie Pentangeli, I'm sorry, we had Mikey Cohen testifying Godfather 2 style about the president while Trump himself is in Hanoi chatting up with buddy pop friend Kim Jong-un, who runs North Korea. I mean, what could go wrong? I know. It's just too much. I feel like we're living through a prestige cable drama, The Wire meets The West Wing, where they're giving the writers way too much creative freedom. My cortex is as confused as my medulla oblongata. My synapses are sending off enough electricity to power 500 Teslas. That's the Elon Musk version of 500, meaning 400, just don't tell the SEC. Theoretically, there's a lot that might keep you up at night about the stock market. But you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to flip that paradigm right on its head. Instead, I think we need to start asking people on Wall Street, the masters of the universe, what lets them sleep soundly at night? What lets them drift off despite all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world? And I'm not talking about Ambient here. I mean the positives that make owning stocks a lot more palatable. So let me tell you the top six things that let me fall asleep after reading my nightly dose of Stephen King, arguably the Charles Dickens of our times, except this prose is a lot tighter, less prolix, because he isn't paid by the word. Stock market sedative number one, we have the strongest economy on earth. I mean, honestly, how can you be petrified when we've got fabulous job growth with very little inflation? Because there's so much slack in the labor market from all the people who dropped out of the workforce during the Great Recession. Growth without inflation is a magical combination and elixir. And I can't actually wait to see Friday's non-farm payroll report because I'm betting things picked up after Fed Chief Jay Powell backed away from nuking the economy uh, in order to save it with a series of lockstep rate hikes at the beginning of the year. Now, that brings us to reason number two, Jay Powell himself. After making a rookie mistake in the fourth quarter, he course-corrected. And now you have to wonder if he'll be in the Goldilocks All-Star game, where we get the economy not too hot, not too cold, just right. Powell's banging down three-pointers now. He triple-double Congress. Don't know if you catch it. Plus, he's fun to watch. No, he, okay, he's not LeBron. I mean, he's really Joel, as in trust the process. I flipped out in the fourth quarter because you never want to fight the Fed. But now that Powell has switched teams and the Fed is our friend, that guy lets me sleep like a baby. <laughs> Third thing that puts me out like a light, I'm loving some of these turnaround artist CEOs who are breathing new life into fallen franchises. Look at this Larry Culp, architect of the nascent comeback at General Electric. Culp's got game. I think he's doing an amazing job fixing the balance sheet so he can then start playing offense. Hey, by the way, that's what the pros do with franchises that are potentially starved of credit. He's taking the balance sheet fears off the table. 
I like that. Then there's Marvin Ellison, the hard-charging new CEO of Lowe's. Ellison's taking control of a company that had become a market share donor to Home Depot with professional contractors eager to go orange and flee blue. He's making it a contender again. I love that he's literally writing down and busting up money losers while making sure that the stores have better, more focused associates who want to help and a goal of no more out of stocks. Thank you, Marvin. I think GE and Lowe's are worth buying here. And I'm in awe of the way these two leaders have reinvented the companies on the fly without missing a beat. How about the fourth reason I can sleep soundly at night? Dividends. We're seeing a wave of out-of-control dividend boosts here, and it's not getting enough attention. Just look at the dividend hikes we got today. Best Buy up 11%. Oh, you see that stock? Wow. TGX up 18%. At Dick's Sporting Good up 22%. And don't forget Big Daddy Home Depot, 32% boost yesterday. At a time when we're scrambling for every dime, right, these companies are putting money in your pocket for doing nothing. I love getting paid to do nothing. Fifth reason I, I, I can have bullish dreams at night, the retailers. We're seeing some incredible moves in this group, mostly from companies that were written off and left for dead as Amazon Roadkill not that long ago. Wasn't AutoZone supposed to be wiped out by Amazon's online car parts business? Wasn't Best Buy supposed to be merely a showroom for Amazon? Weren't the off-price chains like TJX in danger of being undercut? Wasn't Etsy about to be steamrolled as Amazon moved into the handcraft space? No. Turns out these companies are doing just fine. I'm better than fine. A year ago, Etsy was trading at 21 bucks. Now it's at 71. One year. Everybody used to call Amazon the Death Star retail, but that no longer seems to be the case. We got a rising retail tide that's lifting nearly all boats. Okay, so maybe L Brand's not. And the most incredible thing is that Amazon's doing fabulously too. Turns out there's room for everybody. Finally, reason number six why this market lets me sleep so well at night. Simple. Nobody seems to like the market, and there's a spectacular amount of fear no matter what. In fact, money's been pouring out of this market like crazy because people are so scared. That's wrong. Don't the sellers realize we already had our mini crash? That was what December was for. Even though the averages have come roaring back, the fear is so thick that you could cut it like a finely aged cheese. And I'm not speaking of 40-year-old Velveeta. People act like the sky is falling, but the sky already fell in the fourth quarter, and we're fine. It's, it's being reassembled as we speak. So many investors are terrified about the trade war with China. The consensus is still that the Chinese are going to crush us because the People's Republic is unstoppable juggernaut, and America is a pitiful, helpless giant. You know what? I'm taking the other side of this trade. I'm actually sitting here, or standing here, worried that China's economy might fall apart. Maybe the Communist Party removes President Xi from power, like they did to Chairman Mao after the catastrophic Great Leap Forward. A coup in China would actually keep me up at night. Then again, I've always been a big believer in the idea that you should be worried, if not terrified, about things that no one else is worried about. And in this case, it's the potential weakness of the Chinese government in the face of a rapidly slowing economy. Now, that's worth losing sleep over. But the idea that China will crush us in the trade negotiations, it's become ridiculous. Now, I know many of you probably think I'm whistling past the graveyard here, but here's the bottom line. I'm only whistling past the graveyard of underperforming portfolio managers who can't sleep at night because they've been scared away from a terrific rally by the parade of horribles that play like a constant loop inside their heads. Instead of constantly fretting and ruminating about what's going wrong, you need to start thinking about what's going right. Believe me, you'll sleep a lot more soundly at night, and I bet your portfolio will perform a lot better, too. Frank in New York. Frank! Great big booyah from Staten Island, Jim. Love Staten Island. Love Staten Island. What's going on? 
Thank you. I, I, I have a question on Sprint. With the $26 billion T-Mobile merger and the Department of Justice still probing the deal over the antitrust concerns, should I sell or hold? I want you to swap out of Sprint and get into T-Mobile. T-Mobile wins either way. Uh, T-Mobile goes up. I'm like, I'm watching right now. I'm watching Bristol Myers go up because some uh, big holder wants to break up the Selgin deal. I got to tell you, T-Mobile be at 80 bucks if there was no deal uh, and Sprint would go back to five. Let's let's take it off the table and swap into John Ledger. James in Michigan. James. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. After the recent decline in dividend cut of Kraft Heinz, what do you think about Kellogg stock given their recent presentation at Cagney? And what is your overall look for the CPG industry? Well, I mean, Kellogg, I mean, unless you get a takeover, it's not going to do anything. And I'm not going to recommend a bad stock on, on, on basis of takeover. I mean, to me, we got PepsiCo. They're doing great. We got Smucker. They're doing great. I mean, there, there's two that if you want to be in that food group, I like very much. All right. Sure. I know I'm whistling past the graveyard. But the graveyard of underperforming portfolio managers. Start thinking about what's going right, and I think you'll do a lot better. Man Money Tonight, a stock with quite the buzz. GW Farm is on fire, up over 10% today alone, but can it go even higher? I'm talking to the CEO. Then, new CEO, who dis? I'm telling you why Larry Culp's shareholder is a world away from the old, you know, his newsletter, his letter today, a world away from the old GE. And it's a stock that's more than doubled over the past 12 months, and it could head even higher. I'm talking with the CEO of CyberArk to see what's ahead for the cybersecurity space. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. I've spent a lot of time on this show talking about the marijuana stocks. Now that Canada and a bunch of U.S. states have legalized it. But the truth is that this opportunity exists because cannabis is full of chemicals that have very real health benefits. Which brings me to GW Pharmaceuticals, GWPH. That's the British drug company that spent years studying cannabis to develop actual medicine. In November, they started selling Epidiolex here in the United States. This is a drug that prevents seizures. And for the many people, this this has been downright miraculous. So it's no wonder that when GW Pharma reported last night, it delivered some fantastic results, causing the stock to skyrocket today up $21, nearly $14. Now, this product launch is only just beginning, but apparently Epidiolex prescriptions increased by 150% from December to January. So could the stock have much more upside? Let's take a closer look with Justin Gover. He's the CEO of GW Pharmaceuticals. Hear more about the success of this drug and the success of this company. Mr. Gover, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me back on the show. Oh, absolutely, Justin. I've got to tell you, uh, when this was passed, I thought that there was uh, that Wall Street knew how urgent your drug was needed, and they would take numbers up and recognize that this is a very special drug. Were you surprised at how Wall Street reacted, given the fact that you've come on the show and said, look, there's a huge unmet need here? Well, first, it is early days, of course. So we actually are only reporting the first two months of sales. So I think there is a note of caution to be had. But we've always understood that there's an acute need within the epilepsy community for new treatments and that a CBD-based option is something that's been widely talked about. So we're delighted to to understand that this medical community is receptive to this medication and to believe it can help a number of patients across this country with seizures that have been very difficult to treat with other anti-epileptic drugs. Justin, because I wanted to ask you, I think there's a lot of people watching this show who say, why is Kramer like this? Why is this guy Justin? What are they doing? We know CBD, you can get it now. It's available. Canopy's got it and Colorado's got it. We're talking about dosing and precision dosing and how none of those things can really be written for a serious prescription, correct? Well, what we do is we do real science and we produce medicines that have evidence of safety and efficacy and where the manufacturing process can be relied upon in terms of the composition of the product. These are fundamentally important factors when it comes to medication choices for patients who have very difficult to treat medical conditions. It's a very different environment from over-the-counter type options and for, for serious medical conditions. Uh, Epidiolex as an FDA-approved option is very much a distinct one from other CBD alternatives. Now, I know that this is for severe and for, uh, yes, and for you know, pedi- pedi- pediatric, and that is the most important. But I read a book uh, that is just unbelievable called A Mind Unraveled. I don't know if you've read it. It's by Kurt Eichenwald, who's a very famous journalist. He, uh, he's 57 years old. He has epilepsy. He's got it somewhat under control. But the whole, his whole theory behind the book is a lot of people are embarrassed about epilepsy. A lot of people don't want to admit it. A lot of people want to not go to college, not go to work. Couldn't your drug be used for these serious three out of ten people who are grown up who really can't be treated. Well, the drug is approved for two childhood-onset forms of epilepsy. Uh, These children do grow grow up, of course, so uh, there are adults that take Epidiolex and will continue to take Epidiolex. But at the moment, we have evidence in these two forms of epilepsy. We continue to evaluate the efficacy and safety of this medication in other forms of epilepsy. So we're at the beginning of a journey, Jim. We're not there yet. But there are clearly opportunities for us to increase the potential utilization of this drug through further research. But it is the research that will determine in which patients this medication should ultimately be used. But how will you get the word out? Because some of the theses, when I was looking on various sites involving epilepsy, there's a tremendous uh, lack of knowledge among the, the medical community about how epilepsy should be even treated. And they're treating it with like Lamictal. They're treating it with Depakote. They're treating it with these old, old seizure drugs from the 50s and 60s. It's crazy. How do you get the word out? Well, I think that's one of the reasons that this drug, Epidiolex, is so exciting. It is really the first time in many years that we've had a truly novel, innovative, first-in-class medication within the epilepsy field. And I think that's one of the reasons, aside from the fact it comes from the cannabis plant, 
why the receptivity so far appears to be so promising. And ultimately, of course, the, the real determinant of success is the impact on the patient population. And aside from the fact that we're only a, a couple of months into launch in terms of numbers, what has been so heartening has been the number of responses and reports that we've already heard from physicians and patients across the country about how this medication may have helped their conditions. Justin, there's been any backlash at all. An old friend of mine, a guy I hired right out of college, Alex Bernson, New York Times reporter who's now writing books. He's written a book called Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. Are you getting, are you hearing anything about that strain? He's been on a lot of talk shows, and it seems to me that what you're doing far outweighs that kind of worry. But it did put my, it is in my head that maybe we should be more careful. Well, Epidiolex is not marijuana. It is a purified CBD formulation approved by the FDA. That distinction is very important. It's important for us to educate and continue to emphasize because you're right that there can be confusion. So our job has been to ensure that we have a clear distinction between this medication and marijuana. And in that respect, I think we've achieved a great deal of understanding within the medical community. And for those that do understand that, they see this as just an important new treatment addition and they don't confuse it with the, the wider controversies around marijuana. Is, is there any uh, possibility the largest epidemic in, in teenagers is not drug use, it's actual suicide? Is there a possibility that we have compassionate use for teenagers who could use epidiol because there really is nothing. Right now we have nothing. We just uh, have counseling. Is there any way it could be compassionate use for teenagers? Well, we have no evidence for the use of Epidiolex outside of the two indications for which is approved. So it would be unwise for me to, to speculate at this point about what should be done. All I can say is that we at GW are determined to continue to research these cannabinoids. We are, after all, uh, uh, the leaders in this field of science, 20 years already in this field, and, and are f passionate believers that cannabinoids can have the potential in, in both other forms of epilepsy and other disease states. But that's research still to be done. So I think we're at the beginning of this journey, not the end. Total agreement with you, and I just wish you the best luck because you're doing amazing things. That is Justin Gorbridge, the CEO of GW Pharmaceuticals. There is a long runway for this stock. Mad Money's back after the break. I've said it before and I'll say it a million times more on this show until everybody understands. Management matters. You cannot underestimate the importance of the decisions made by senior executives. CEOs have a tremendous amount of latitude to do things their own way. And those choices have major consequences for their stocks. Don't believe me? I want you to just go read. Go read. General Electric CEO Larry Kolb's annual letter to GE shareholders that came out last night. Hopefully his first of many. It's honest. It's forthright. It's straightforward. In short, it's the most un-GE piece of correspondence I've ever seen. The culture shock here is downright stunning. You need to understand the old General Electric was the most complex of companies where you could never really figure out how it was doing because the numbers were borderline incomprehensible. Seriously, every time I looked at GE's financials, I had to search for a glossary because the company never used a single reporting technique that explained how its many divisions were actually holding up. Instead, there were all these after-tax and before-tax terms that they used, resulting in a bizarre form of earnings that were unique to GE. You couldn't really compare GE to other businesses on an apples-to-apples basis because no other business reported in a similar fashion. Now, none of this, of course, bothered investors when it looked like the company was winning. Although, in retrospect, you, you couldn't really tell. I could never figure out how GE got away with it. 
how these, uh, there could be one set of reporting methods for General Electric and another set for the other 499 companies, the SP 500. They made it seem like all their divisions, including the worst one, Power, were actually doing just fabulous. Frankly, if Jeff Immelt, the former CEO, hadn't guided for $2 in earnings per share in 2018, forcing the company to endlessly cut numbers for what turned out to be a 65-cent love canal of a year, we might still be confused about the horrific reality of the situation. That's why I was stunned by the simplicity and straightforwardness of new CEO Larry Culp's reporting techniques. Instead of page after page after page after page of adjusted numbers that showed big wins for all divisions, there's one page, just one page, that shows how all the divisions are doing. Get this. It turns out GE has eight divisions. There's a 16-word max description of each one followed by the titled subdivisions, uh, and then the number of the employees at each division. You can tell from the get-go that the power and oil and gas divisions are insanely overstaffed, 59,700 workers, 65,800 workers, respectively. Then there are five lines under each division. This was really incredible. Get this. Revenues, profit loss, margin profit loss, orders, and backlog all presented with simple year-over-year comparisons. I'm not kidding. Actual numbers. Colt became CEO in September of last year. It wouldn't have surprised me if he had to work every single day, including Saturday and Sunday, just to get his hands on these numbers. That's how absurd GE's accounting was. Excuse me, alleged accounting. These numbers show that Colt has his work cut out from the power business is killing him. But if he can fix power, the new GE, and it does kind of feel like a new company, will be amazingly simple and even better, amazingly good, simply because you'll finally know what you're getting. Specifically, you'll get a fabulous aviation division with fantastic margins, a very good healthcare division, including, you know, it's fine what they sold. They still got tons of good stuff. And then a bunch of flotsam and jetsam that either needs to be sold or be shrunk to the point where it no longer matters. The best part of GE's latest shareholder letter, of all things, there's a quote from uh, an Ernst Craig, sorry if I mispronounce your name, he's an executive in the company's power business who wrote to Culp saying, the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper name. Borrowing a line from Confucius. GE's annual letter, Confucius. That's the new GE. A company is finally embracing reality. He closes the letter by telling us, now it's more about what we do than what we say. That too is a very un-GE-like sentiment. After reading this incredible letter, you know what? I think he can pull it off. Deborah in Washington, Deborah. Jim, booyah. I have a question. I'm 67 years old. I have Boeing and my IRA. I've had it since 2013. It's up 260%. And I am a little anxious because I know I've listened to you and you say to the first five, take some money off the table, but it goes up every week. Yes, yes. And so it's very hard for me to do. I, I don't want you to take some. I'll tell you why. Because there's so many people who are worried about Boeing in China that it's actually much lower than it should be. You know, it's incredible. Uh, the Vietnamese uh, ordered $15.7 billion with planes this morning. And uh, nobody even seemed to care. But can you imagine if you thought that there was 15, the Vietnamese are praying that the Chinese drop out so they can get in the queue. Boeing is good to go. Don't you sell it. Let's go to Steve in Maryland. Steve. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Booyah. I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Love the show. 
my stock is EOG. Uh, it's my understanding that EOG sold off a lot of their foreign assets to focus on their U.S. operations. Stock has been beaten up in the last four or five months. Uh, it just recently missed earnings but increased revenue and cash flow. Right. Jim. What are your thoughts about this, and where do you think this yeah, Look, I, I'm not a big fossil fuel guy anymore. I've been trying to de-emphasize that, and a real cool one. EOG is an excellently run company, but it's fossil fuel, and uh, those really aren't working anymore except for the ones that have a very big yield, and not because their stocks went down. They have big yield, but they have good dividends. Let's go to John in California. John! Oh, yeah, Jim. I haven't talked to you in a while. We love hey, you in Sacramento. How you been? Um, I tell you what, where houses burned up here and now we're flooding and uh, things are going on in California, Napa Valley, that's for sure. Well, it is there. You do have a lot of weather there this year. What's going on? What, what, how do we help? How do I help? <laughs> okay, the way I'm, I'm playing the U.S. concrete, we got 30,000 homes burned up. We need streets, bridges. I got some U.S. concrete, been hanging on to it a while. It seems like maybe the. Uh, Political climate might start agreeing on doing some infrastructure. Miller, what do you think of U.S. concrete? Well, it is entirely in the hands of uh, whether there's an infrastructure bill. It trades almost, it trades almost entirely, and when there isn't one, the stock goes down. Uh, down here, I would not sell. It's only six hundred and seventy million. I bet you, uh, honestly, God, I think like the parking lots are worth more than that. Yeah, that's I mean that the stock is too inexpensive. All right, the new GE is wonderfully simple, but now we know Cole Pez's work cut out for him. Much more mad money ahead tonight. Cybersecurity continues to hold a place in the national spotlight. So could Cyborg be a way to play the, fre- the uh, trend? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then Clean Harbors is known as the leading player in the hazardous waste management business. After its move higher today, can it have you cleaning up on Wall Street? I got the CEO. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. It was kind of like when, when Good to Be Back Lloyd. It was a little bit like the, you know, the overall hotel. I mean, it was, you know, The Shining. How much drinking do you do in the air? <laughs> or on the That's, ground. There's a takeaway. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. I love it when a major theme that I've been harping on for years goes into overdrive. We've had some fabulous long-term gains in the cybersecurity space. But since the beginning of 2019, many of these stocks have just exploded higher as businesses realize, well, they got to beef up on their data protection. Which brings me to CyberArk, the Israeli-based cybersecurity company that helps companies protect so-called administrator accounts. Basically, they guard the keys to the digital kingdom. Because if you can hack into an administrator account, you can get your hands on just about anything. Now, CyberArk is a longtime Kramer fave, as you know, with a stock that's more than doubled over the past 12 months. But more importantly, it's up nearly 50% for 2019. That's right, since this year began, and we're not even two months into it yet. How they do it? Simple. CyberArk reported a series of phenomenal quarters, including their latest results two weeks ago, a monster 30-cent earnings beat off of a 59-cent basis, much higher than expected revenue and some spectacular guidance. The stock vaulted from 86 to 104 in the news. It has not looked back since, climbing to over 109 today. So can it keep climbing? Let's dig deeper with the bankable Udi Makati. He's the chairman and CEO of CyberArk Software. Find out the secret sauce behind this company's incredible outperformance. Mr. Makati, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Great to be back. Hi, Jim. Well, Udi, first of all, it's great to see you. I wish you were in person. I understand. We usually try to get here. 
too bad. But let me ask yeah, you yeah. something. Next time. Next time in next person. Next time, for absolutely. Sure. You know, I've been following <laughs> and waiting for what's happened to happen. It was 60 and then 40, 40, 60. But you always told me, look, one day people are going to realize this is the real danger in cybersecurity. What happened to make people really realize, wait a second, maybe this is the most dangerous thing that, that could hurt our company? Yeah, I think there's been growing awareness that this is the most irreversible phase of an attack. If they got the keys to the kingdom, they control the network, they control the cloud. And uh, this growing awareness really led uh, CISOs to, to put this as top priority. So what we do, Privilege Access Security, is really leveled up as a top priority project and program for many enterprises around the world. And we've executed against that demand. So I think what we we're seeing is uh, uh, Cybrock executing against a growing demand, uh, again, a result of a lot of education. Well, one of the things I thought was fascinating about when we read about your company, you're talking about magic quadrants. You're, you're talking about recognitions. There are actually statistics which indicate where this issue is in terms of the top of mind of the C-suite, right? I mean, it used to be low and now it's like top three. Yeah, it's leveled to uh, even a top one in the top 10 projects that uh, analysts are uh, recommending. And there's a magic quadrant on it. And uh, finally, uh, that came out in December and Cybrock is at the top as, as the top leader in the, in the quadrant. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. I know that's why people are going to go to you for more than just this quarter. You have a slide in your deck, privilege credentials in the news. And InfoSecurity says privilege accounts at the root of most data breaches. How's that possible? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what the public is mostly aware of is how attackers got in. They, they, they sent a phishing email or they, they somehow got in. But what happens after getting in is the, is the really sweet sauce for the attacker. Um, and in most of the major attacks, well, they've been stealing credentials, moving laterally uh, to get to a point where they really have control. So you take the major breaches that have been uh, investigated, not just by us, but by the top uh, uh, firms that come after breaches, privilege escalation is at the top of it. So if you can prevent that, uh, you can prevent a minor cold from, from creating real havoc. How many times, you have a fantastic client in the conference call, how many times has this happened? Uh, there's a rogue person in your company that gets the data, takes it out, takes it home, exploits it. A rogue person can't be caught by anybody other than CyberArk. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in our early years, uh, that was the main uh, reason to put this line of defense on the inside because you have insiders already with, with access to, uh, uh, to, to information, to databases. And, um, and, and so we're, we're really that last line of defense before uh, a Snowden can take everything out or, or somebody with that kind of a strong uh, access. Uh, modern times, there's no real differentiator anymore between the strong insider and the outsider because the sophisticated attacker, it could take them 30 emails, can take them 40 emails, but they'll be inside the network. And today, it's not just the network. It's also the cloud environment. Okay, so uh, we've got our president talking to North Korea. We have our trade representatives talking to China. When I think about state-sponsored cyber terrorism, I think about North Korea and China. Any let up at all why these things are going on? Uh, so there, there's a lot of motivation for uh, for nation states. I think we, we're seeing that on the rise. Uh, definitely, there have been uh, alleged attacks by from from Iran in uh, in, in recent weeks. Uh, the Australian Parliament. There's even news about an, an attempt to get into the missile defense uh, alert system in Israel uh, that was uh, fortunately uh, blocked and, uh, and and detected. So there are many motivations. Some are financial, even for nation states uh, to to avoid embargoes, uh, and very much uh, uh, either either being there, lying there undetected. For, uh, for the day of, uh, that they want to escalate. If uh, when a major hotel chain is hacked 
and they have my information and all the other millions of people who stay there. That had to be in the keys to the kingdom situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's a case where you get a major database containing uh, all the guest information and passports um, and, and where, where, pe- where people are staying. Uh, that, that, that involves getting privileged access to, uh, to information. And, and, and Jim, that's a great example of what uh, it's alleged to be actually from a nation state. Uh, that there are good reasons for a criminal organization to breach into a hotel chain and steal credit cards and other personal information. But here, allegedly, it's a nation state uh, wanting to, to get passport information information about citizens around the world, especially Americans. And uh, last question, are there still companies that read in the paper that Marriott gets hacked and they say, you know what, this could be us, and they call you? Is there still anybody left who, who is that oblivious, <laughs> that obtuse? Uh, I, I wouldn't say they're oblivious. I, I would say it's still a greenfield opportunity for CyberArk because we're a new layer of securities. I think many companies that we're, we're still trying to put the, the regular external uh, layers in place, and, and uh, we have 4,500 customers. We're looking at the next 40,000, 50,000 uh, to go after, and they don't have CyberArk. So they're not oblivious. Uh, customers are really getting smarter at looking at impactful ways to uh, improve their security, and, and we're going for it. And that's why we're very uh, long on what we're doing. Well, congratulations. You've done a fantastic job, Udi. Really great to see you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. Okay, Thanks that's Udi McCarty, Chairman CEO of CyberArk, CYBR. The whole time it was going 40, 60, 64, and we were behind it. Now look at this move. Mad Money's back into the break. It is time! It is time for the lightning! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Dominic, Ohio. Dominic. Yes, thank you for taking my call, Jim. Arena Pharmaceutical should be finishing up phase three trials soon. FDA approval would be the one and only drug to combat lupus nephritis in the USA and Europe. They've been awarded trademark and patent right. protection until 2037. Would you consider this a good takeover candidate? No, not a takeover candidate. No, no, not without the approval, because if it's not, it doesn't get the approval it's supposed to have, then I tell you, this one goes much lower. You want to do it on uh, on approvals, and Glickman's good. I'd like to have him on the show, but I'm not going to endorse it until I know more. Let's go to Mark in New Jersey. Mark! Hey, Jim, how's it going? Well, it's going well. How about you? Uh, could be better. What? I'm talking about Centene. Hey, listen, that group has been real weak all of a sudden. Now, I, I, the whole group has been, you know, there's an introduction of a bill that I think that will not pass about Universal Medicare. It's driving all these stocks down, and I think Centene's going down with it. It's a very inexpensive stock here, and we have total faith in Michael Meidorf. And I say, not tomorrow, because there'll be downgrades, because everybody's nervous. But on Friday, bye, bye, bye. Let's go to Edward in Delaware. Edward. Thank you for uh, your recommendation on Canadian Goose last February. All right, we got to stick with it. I know people aren't happy with it. You get a grip. What's going on now? Well, it was a home run. I made 57% in four months. I'd like to get your opinion for the long term on waste management for my daughter's IRA. You know, when Mr. Steiner was running that company, I said, I don't know if it can get better. Now Mr. Fish is running, and the answer is it just keeps getting better. And for your daughter's IRA, I want you to stay long, even though it just cracked par, which is genuine Wall Street chippers for $100. Stay long or own waste management. Let's go to Harsh. Love that name. Harsh in Texas. Harsh. Oh, hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're um, welcome. I want to I talk about Activision Blizzard. 
I, I bought Activision Blizzard in October. It's it shaved about 40% right. then. Uh, there's a lot of trouble in the gaming industry. What do you think is the narrative for Activision Blizzard well, in 2019? The, the bed ba- I'm sorry, the, the Best Buy call was really about Fortnite and gaming, how strong gaming is. And if you think that's the case, you really got to be an EA because EA's got the game that people want. Uh, I, I think Activision Blizzard is what I call dead money. Let's go to Paul in Hawaii. Paul. Booyah from Hawaii, Jim. All right, Paul, let's go to work. After buying the stock with your advice at 60 about two years ago and making money for the past two years, I'm wondering what to do with my position in ABBB. Well, now they've got biosimilars. I was listening to a biosimilar. I was listening to Mylan. Boy, what a terrible call that was. I was listening to Mylan last night, and everyone's talking about the biosimilars. Damn, five, uh, four, six. Uh, talk about biosimilars for you, Mira. And that means that that means going to keep going down, even though it yields five. So I say let's be careful out there. I need to go to Jimmy in New York. Jimmy! Hey, Jim. Booyah. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you, Jimmy? Good, good. Thank you for all your help, pal. Doing I my just best. want to get your take on Weight Watchers. I, hey. I see it took a, took a bath lately, and I, I want to see if there's any upside in the near future. You know what? It was a really tough call. I want to hand it to Mindy Grossman, the CEO. She was really out front about how weak the quarter was and how the... Uh, but I believe in her when she says that WW, the new wellness initiative that is really a 360 wellness ecosystem, that it can work one day. But right now, this stock's not done going down. When you see a stock down this much, you're going to be more people downgraded tomorrow, even though you had multiple downgrades today. I say you got to stay away. I need to go to Stanton in Arizona. Stanton! Yes, sir. How are you? I am good. How are you, Stanton? Pretty good. Kronos. I have some. I've made some money on it. I'm deciding, do I sell and run with Stand, some cash? Stan, we're going to take a page from Larry Bossidy, my old friend, the former CEO of Honeywell, who was on Squawk this morning, who said you got to trade these. And I'm, I agree, Kronos, sell now, buy it lower, and that. Ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. this caught your attention, but there's an incredible run today in a stock called Clean Harbors that I've liked a long time. That's CLH. It's the leading player in the hazardous waste management business. Here's a stock that rocketed up $8.06, or 13.4% today. Response to an amazing quarter. I think this is an important story. Why? Because they don't just tidy up after natural disasters or unnatural disasters anymore. They help industrial companies and energy producers with waste disposal and environmental cleanup. So even if there are no spills, no pipelines, uh, no harbors that need to be cleaned, well, you should feel very confident this company can still deliver the numbers. It delivered, in fact, a superb $0.07 cent earnings beat off a of $0.17 cent basis, higher than expected sales, up nearly 15% year-over-year, at excellent full-year guidance. No wonder the stock exploded higher, and this was after already rallying substantially from the December lows. If clean harbors can produce such strong numbers during a quarter where some people worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown, what happens now if the Fed's our friend? Let's check in with Alan McKim. He's the chairman and CEO of Clean Harbors. Get a better sense of the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. McKim, welcome back to may have money. Hey, great seeing you, Jim. Thank you. Hey, Alan, you know, this was the kind of quarter that I always knew you could deliver because there were no uh, big spills. There were no train wrecks. In the old days, without that, we used to say, I don't know. Well, you know, we tried to do our best. It really isn't the story of Clean Harbors anymore, is it? No, it really isn't. Uh, our emergency response business is uh, probably about, <clears throat> excuse me, about 5% of our overall revenue. So it's not a big part of our business. Can you give people the evolution here? Because there was a time, and I think a lot of people, because you're still named Clean Harbors, I think a lot of people feel like that that's got to be 50%. At one point, it was much larger. 
you've made some great acquisitions that have made it so it's much smaller. Yeah, pretty much our business is really focused on hazardous waste disposal. Uh, we operate uh, over 100 plants, uh, nine incinerators, six re-refineries, a variety of landfills and water treatment plants. So we're really all about handling people's uh, hazardous waste, and we're the largest uh, hazardous waste management company in North America today. Now, what are the, if we can just distinguish for a second, because we have waste management all the time. Hazardous waste and waste are different businesses, but you still say on your site that you will pick up any waste anywhere. You mean hazardous waste? What is, the, is, that, is that a splitting hair thing? Well, predominantly, uh, the waste that we're handling is industrial byproducts and <clears throat> termed uh, by EPA to be hazardous. Uh, so many of our facilities are classified as recro-permitted uh, Part B facilities where waste would be dealing more on industrial and commercial waste, which we don't play in right now. Well, I'm glad you – I was going to be my next question, which is that I felt that when uh, President Trump came to office – I thought that maybe the EPA would be told, listen, what you think is hazardous is no longer hazardous. What you think needs to be cleaned up doesn't need to be cleaned up. That has not been the case, has it? It really hasn't. I think the uh, states which carry out the federal programs have been very, very aggressive in enforcement. We haven't seen any changes or reduction in regulations. In fact, in some cases, uh, particularly in the oil and gas area and how they're handling some of their waste out in the oil fields, we're seeing more stringent regulation. So we're, uh, we're feeling very good that uh, from a regulatory standpoint, the framework that's in place is going to stay in place. Uh, I think that's amazing, an untold story. I went to the Safety Clean website today, and right in the middle, in the largest thing I can see, it says drivers wanted. Are you part of the driver shortage? We really are. Uh, we have about 4,500 uh, CDL drivers. Uh, we have over uh, 15,000 employees today, and we're always short uh, qualified drivers. It's very difficult to find drivers, uh, as you hear, in, on a national basis. And we're really anxious to try to expand our fleet and bring more drivers on. Okay. Now, boy, if you can't find them, I don't know. I bet you guys, don't you pay a lot of money for a driver? We pay a lot of money, and we, uh, we try to develop our own drivers. We try to train them and bring them up through the organization. And that's an important part of our, uh, our career development program. One thing that I was... Uh kind of confused about just for a little bit was you made the safety clean acquisition in 2012. We spoke several times after that, and it was a little difficult to integrate. You, you say in this year, you say, I want to take a moment to highlight the increasingly complementary relationship between our safety clean and environmental services segment. Did it take that long to become synergistic, or is it just that you had to integrate the two and you didn't think it would necessarily work, and now it's going great? Well, I think the first couple of years after Safety Clean, we saw a huge decline in oil pricing. Uh, the crude oil crashed. Uh, the value of our base oil went from over $4 a gallon to $2 a gallon. And, you know, we're generating now almost 150 million gallons of recycled oil. So it's, it, it had a big impact on our business. And I think my point today in our script was really to share the story that we're getting a lot of waste into our incinerators and our disposal plants. You know, we're getting a lot of field services and emergency response work from the over 250,000 customers that Safety Clean has. And I think the story really is just starting to, to unfold that, that it's, a, it's a wonderful franchise that we continue to believe and uh, expand on. All right. Uh, one last question, but it's, it's kind of a little more ethereal than I usually go in with you. You have a terrific ad with Richard Petty on one of 
you know, if you're racing, you're a fan, he's a hero and his grandson. And it's for it's for Performance Plus, which is your your oil. Why don't you change the name of the company and get it so millennials look millennials love and they're hurting the earth. We know that they love recycling. And the fact is, is that nobody does recycling of it, something we don't want in the ground more than you do. Why don't you play up that angle? Well, we're really trying to build uh, our brand on on our old green initiative, and you know, probably over six hundred million dollars of our three point three billion are all uh, dollars from our recycling efforts, recycling chemicals, metals, oils, um, and so it, it is a big part of our business. And uh, our EcoPower oil is is part of our green initiative to uh, to sell our re-refined oil. So it. It really has been taken off for us. We're really excited about uh, people wanting to to buy that renewable oil because uh, you know we can use it over and over and over again, and it's it's as good, if not better, than virgin oil. What a great story this is! Well, I'm so thrilled for you, Alan. You've been at it for a long time, and you're really breaking out the numbers now. That's Alan McKimmy, Chairman and CEO of Clean Harbor CLH. This one goes higher. Stay with Kramer. Days. We've been blessed with some really good things happening after the close, but not tonight. There is word that maybe a big shareholder wants to block Bristol Myers Celgene. So Celgene is, of course, being taken over. Down very big. Teladoc, people are a little disappointed. Box, people are very disappointed. Square, a little bit of a sell off. Fitbit, not so hot. And L Brands also coming in below expectations. That's an awful lot of negative news. Now, these are not necessarily big cap companies, but I have to tell you, it's something worth focusing on. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account U.S. equity and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee in some account types and securities excluded. See Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.